Most of you already know this about me, but just in case you're new and you don't, um, prior to living here in Lexington, Karen and I lived in Athens, Georgia, and there we served as campus minister uh, to the University of Georgia, and we were there for seven years uh, working with the Campus View Church of Christ, and uh, we loved we loved that season of our lives. We loved reaching out to that campus. We loved uh, coming alongside college students and encouraging them and strengthening them in Christ. Um, it was a really sweet season for us. We had, a, we had a student center, which was basically just an old house that was right next door to the church building. Um, and while we were there, we, uh, we busted out one of the walls and had a large enough gathering space where all the students could come uh, for a weekly gathering once, uh, once every week. Uh, man, and it was just a great time. It, 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 was, it was in the evening, and we would gather together, and we would sing, and we would pray, and then I would teach them about discipleship, um, specifically what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus on a state college campus. Um, and it was just a, man, it was just a sweet, sweet time. We, our motto was, we are Christians who just happen to be students. And so every time we were together, we talked about what that meant for us um, as, as we lived on a state college campus. Well, over the course of uh, doing that for seven years, I don't remember, I don't recall all the exact details of every one of those weekly gatherings, but there is one that sticks out to my memory. Um, now, I don't remember the text I was teaching from, and I, I don't really even remember the point of my lesson and that's probably best. Um, but after the final amen had been spoken that evening, one of the guys there that night who was actually dating one of the girls in our college group, uh, he made a beeline up to the front uh, to share some of his opinions with me. Um, to put it mildly, he was not a happy camper. He was, he was offended at what I had said, um, he was disappointed in me as a person. Um, he doubted whether or not I should even be in ministry. And I could just continue to go on, but for the sake of time, I'll stop there. Now, standing directly behind him, waiting her turn to speak, was a young lady in our campus ministry. And she waited and waited patiently until this guy had finished sharing all of his opinions with me. Uh, and he finally said everything he wanted to say and then turned and walked out of the student center. She and I both watched him leave, and then I took a deep breath and turned to the young lady and smiled, and I said, so, what's on your mind? <laughs> well, she went on to share with me about how the Lord had used my lesson that night to change her life. Jesus had spoken to her that evening in a new and fresh way, and she was sure that her life would always be different from that point on. And she wanted to thank me for being her campus minister. It was unbelievable. I felt like I had just ridden a roller coaster. So what do you do with that? How does one reconcile such differing opinions? How, 
How do you go from the reaction that's so negative to a reaction that's so positive? In the course of 10 minutes, I had the wind knocked out of me, and then I had the wind blown back into me. You ever experienced something like that? Well, in our text today, Paul experiences something kind of like that. He and Barnabas had left Antioch, Pisidia, and we spent three weeks looking at that sermon that Paul preached there in a synagogue. They made their way to Iconium, and now they're at Lystra. Now, most likely, uh, they first went into a Jewish synagogue because that was their way, but Luke doesn't tell us that here. Instead, he only shares with us this incredible incident that occurred. He just shares with us the details of this miraculous event. And it begins with Paul healing a man who was lame from birth. In verse 9, Luke writes that the lame man listened to Paul as he was speaking Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith, and so he healed him. Let me ask you a question. How could Paul tell that he had faith? How do you see faith? Because I think you can see it. You know, as someone who speaks publicly often to a group of listeners... I can say through experience, I have pretty decent sample size of this. I've done this a time or two. But when I'm preaching, I can have a good sense just by looking at someone if they're really listening to me or if they're really not listening to me. Now, maybe that burst your bubble. Maybe you like kind of hiding out there and not, me not knowing But just from one look, I get a pretty good sense if you're listening or not. You know, someone who's listening is probably taking notes. Someone who's listening listens with their eyes, as my wife likes to remind me. Someone who's listening uses body language, gestures to let the speaker know that they're paying attention. One of my favorite listeners of all times was Peg Day. Peg was a listener. Man, that girl didn't play around. She was a member at Southside for years and died back in uh, 2021. But Peg would sit right over there about where Tristan is sitting. And man, she listened with her whole body. She would smile, she would nod her head, she would clasp her hands. You know, for whatever reason, we don't have a culture here of responding verbally with an amen or a hallelujah or preach Barrett. That's just not the culture here. But she did everything non-verbally. She made every non-verbal response that a listener could make. If I ever wondered, as I looked out, if anyone was listening I would look at Peg. Now, follow me with this. When someone listens in this way to the word of God being preached, I think that's a really good indication 
That faith is present in that person. Faith causes someone to listen in that way to the word of God being preached. And so I don't think anything's crazy happening here. I don't think Paul has some kind of special ability to see into this person's heart. I don't think he has x-ray faith vision. I think Paul could see by the way this man listened to him that he had faith. He had faith to be healed. And so he called out, stand up on your feet. And at that, the man jumped up and began to walk for the very first time in his life. It's an amazing story. And then what happens next is a turn of events that makes the little story I told earlier about my interaction with the two college students at Georgia pale in comparison. Try to put yourself, if you're able to, here in Paul's sandals. In one moment, the people of Lystra are praising him. They're worshiping him. They're saying that he's a God who's come down in human form. And then in the very next moment, the same people are stoning him and dragging him outside the city because they think he's dead. Really? How does that happen? So quickly. And, and what are you supposed to do with that? How do you respond to that if you're Paul? One of my uh, sports heroes has always been John Wooden. Um, I actually took a, a coaching class my freshman year in college. They offered it, so I took it. And I was interested. I was interested. I thought at that time, my freshman year in college, I wasn't exactly sure what I was going to do for a vocation. And I, was, I thought coaching might be what I was going to do. And so I took this coaching class my freshman year. And I studied for several weeks Coach Wooden's coaching philosophy and his life principles in that class. Listen, this man was only five foot ten, but he was a giant. He was a giant. Now, for some of the young people here who've never heard of him, he was the head basketball coach for the UCLA Bruins. Uh, his team won the NCAA National Men's Championship the year I was born in 1973. Actually, they went undefeated that year. And that was not the only one. In a 12-year span, he won 10 national championships, 10, including seven in a row. Four of the 10 were undefeated seasons. And here's the thing. As good as a coach as John Wooden was, he was a better man. He was a Christian, and he considered his beliefs more important to him than basketball. He said, I've always tried to make it clear that basketball is not the ultimate. It is a very small importance in comparison There's only one kind of life that truly wins, and that's the one that places faith in the hands of the Savior. That's awesome. He was full of just this incredible wisdom that he would still and his players. Um, I've written down through the years all kinds of his quotes, and here's one of my favorites of his 
that I learned in that class my freshman year in college, and I've always tried to live by it. He said, you can't let praise or criticism get to you. You can't let praise or criticism get to you. It's a weakness to get caught up in either one of them. That's really good. So what he's saying there is, there will be times in your life when the crowd will want to offer sacrifices to you. And there will be times in your life when the crowd will want to stone you and drag you outside the city. And the best response, what you do with that, is to not get caught up with either one. You could say the best response is to stay grounded, to stay focused, to not get distracted by either the highs or the lows of life. You know, perhaps the greatest miracle of this story is not the healing of the lame man in verse 10, but in verse 20, after the disciples had gathered around the crumpled mess of a man they knew as Paul. He would, he would have at least been unconscious. Surely there were head injuries, multiple concussions. There had to be broken bones. But Luke says, Paul got up and went back into the city. Spends the night there and then leaves the next day. It's unbelievable. He's not phased. So I want us to to look at Paul's response here in Lystra because I think it serves us as a necessary illustration of how a disciple of Jesus should respond to the praise and the criticism that comes in our lives to the highs and the lows that we experience in this life, to the ups and to the downs. In our remaining time, I want to look at three lessons that we learned from Paul's response that I think are very helpful, very practical to us as disciples. We need to hear this because in our lives, we're going to go through seasons of great highs, when it seems like everything's going our way, everyone we know is for us. Life is good. And then we're also going to go through seasons of great lows when it seems like nothing's going our way. Everyone we know is against us, and life is hard. And so how do we respond to such differences, such a contrast? Three lessons this morning that from Paul's words here, from his response that I think really speak to us as disciples who live on this roller coaster, the ups and downs of this roller coaster that we call life. So here's number one. First, in the good times, we have to hold on to humility. 
in the good times, we have to cling to humility. We need to take Philippians chapter 2 and just read it every morning. When things are good, when things are going, away, going our way, run to humility. You know, what's really interesting here is that um, people ha- have studied this area um, of the world, archaeologists and, and others, and um, they've discovered, they've unearthed that at, at around this time, there was this local legend about Zeus and Hermes, that they had visited this world before, disguised as men. That was a legend of, of the people. And they sought out hospitality, and they went to a thousand different homes and were turned away. But finally, there was this this elderly peasant couple that lived in this little dilapidated cottage, and they let Zeus and Hermes in and showed them hospitality that night. The next day, they destroyed everyone who lived in those thousand homes with a flood. But they elevated this elderly couple, and they made them priest and priestess of their temple because they showed them hospitality. And so that was the legend. That was their understanding of why the flood came, and that's the spin that these people put on it in the legend. And so these folks were, were, were not going to be tricked again. And so when Paul and Barnabas show up onto the scene, and, they, and Paul heals this man, they, they assume wrongly that Zeus and Hermes have returned. And so they, they bring out the bulls and the reeds, and they worship Paul and Barnabas as gods. Listen to Paul's response in verse 15. I love this response. This is, I just want to kind of lift this out. This is a great question and then a great statement of humility that Paul makes. He says, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human, just like you. You see, Paul could have very easily been tempted to be exalted, right? To be praised, to be worshiped by these people. He could have been exalted in the eyes of the crowd, but he's not. And I love this statement. I love it. I think any time, any time that we are tempted, any time that another human being tries to elevate us in some way, this should be our response. We need to circle this and come back to this, highlight it. And we ask this question, why are you doing this? I'm only a human just like you. You know, it can work in the other direction as well. When I'm tempted to elevate myself by looking down on someone else because of their life choices or because of their bad decisions or because of their failures, I need to stop and ask myself this question. What am I doing? Why am I doing this? I'm only a man, human, just like you. Listen, in good times, when things are going well, when we're riding the wave of life, 
we have to hold on to humility. We have to especially have this perspective during these high moments in our life when life is good. I cannot begin to think that during a good season of my life that in some way that I'm better than someone else or that I have it all figured out. When I begin to think that way, I need to come to Acts chapter 14, verse 15 and ask myself, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? I'm just a human like you. So we have to, in the good times, we have to hold on to humility. Second, in the hard times, we have to trust God's testimony. In the hard times, we have to trust God's testimony. Interestingly, when you study Paul's little sermonette here, verses 15 through 17, he doesn't mention the name of Jesus. He says, we're bringing you good news, but then he never mentions the name of Jesus. Now, I, I just think that's because they stone him before they, he gets to Jesus. Um, I think he's going to, to get there, and they just stone him before he does. Uh, but what I want you to see here is his starting place for sharing the good news, because he can't start with Scripture like he did um, in uh, Antioch, Pisidia, in the synagogue, um, because the people here don't know Scripture, and he can't start with Jesus because they've never heard of him either. So where do you, get, where do you begin? Well, Paul begins with, with this. He begins with creation. He says there's a living God who made everything, and this creator God has left us with a powerful testimony. Through his creation, he has revealed to us his great kindness and his generous provision. So these people who have not yet received the special testimony of God's word are not without testimony. They have received testimony. The one God of the universe has revealed himself to all people through his creation. He's given testimony to his character through his creation, and it's a powerful testimony of great kindness and generous provision. That's the starting place for Paul. That's where he begins with these people who don't know of any scripture and who've never heard of Jesus. He begins with the great kindness and generous provision of God. Listen, church, we have to trust God's testimony. In your difficulty and in your hardship, know his testimony. The God who made everything, including you, is kind and generous to all. And this is just the testimony of his creation. Anyone can know this much about God. And the special testimony of his word reveals his kindness and his generosity to an even greater degree. In the hard, we have to trust God's testimony. When things are hard, we want to doubt God's goodness. When things are hard, when life throws stones at us, we want to question God's kindness. But listen to Paul's last words right before he's stoned and dragged outside the city for dead. He says, God has left, has not left himself without testimony. He has shown himself to be kind and generous. Great kindness and generous provision. And anyone can look at his creation and know this testimony to be true. However, we can look at his cross. 
and know the truth of this testimony to an even greater degree. God is a God of great kindness and generous provision. Just because life is hard does not mean God is not good. Life is hard and God is good. Both can be true at the same time. And so in those hard times, we have to trust God's testimony. And then third, lastly, God can turn your hard into something good. God can turn your hard into something good. Verses 21 and 22 here, um, to me, with, with all the miracles that are taking place here, Verses 21 and 22, to me, are the most incredible part of the story. What we learn there is that Paul and Barnabas leave for Derby for a short time, and then they return to Lystra. They return to Lystra to strengthen and encourage the disciples there. That's amazing. Don't just skim past that and miss the importance of this. Paul returns to the very place where he had experienced perhaps the biggest hardship of his life in order to strengthen and encourage the disciples in their hardship. You see what's happening here? God is using Paul's hard to encourage and strengthen others in their hard. Paul strengthens and encourages the disciples with these words. Again, this is one of those that you need to just highlight, circle, and come back to time and time again. Paul strengthens and encourages the disciples there in Lystra, the ones who watched him stoned to death and dragged outside the city. He comes back, he strengthens, and he encourages them with these words. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Listen, I don't know how you've heard that statement before, but it was meant to strengthen and encourage. It was not a warning. It was an encouragement. If you're a disciple of Jesus and you're going through something that's really hard, you're not doing it wrong. It's part of the journey. Hardship and discipleship are not two different ships. Here's how I like to think about it. Every time I have to go through something difficult, Every time I have to go through something hard, whatever it might be, it's an opportunity for me to enter the kingdom of God. Let me say that again. Our hardships and our difficulties provide us with real life opportunities to enter the kingdom of God now. You see, I believe that a hardship provides us with an opportunity 
to ask the rule and reign of Jesus Christ into my life in a way that I would not have asked him without the hardship. And then when we have entered into the kingdom of God in this way, when we have asked Jesus Christ to rule and to reign even in our heart, then he can turn that heart into something good. And he can use it as a place for us to minister to others. He can use it as a place for us to strengthen and encourage others who are dealing with their own heart. And so, this wonderful incident here in Lystra, in Acts chapter 14, we learn from Paul's response to being on the ups and the downs of life. And in that, on that journey, we've learned that in the good, we have to hold on to humility. In the hard, we have to trust God's testimony. We have to believe that only God can turn our hard into something good. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these words this morning. It's my prayer. Um, it's been my prayer as, um, as we've been studying through Acts now for a while, that you will use these words, that your Holy Spirit, I appreciate Matt earlier, just, man, we, we call upon your Holy Spirit to take your living word, change us change us. So, Father, I'm thankful for this church family, and I I pray, Father, wherever someone might be today, because with a number this big, there's going to be someone that's riding high on life, and there's going to be someone that barely made it out of bed this morning. And Father, in the midst of that, as we, as we ride on that journey of life together as a community, may we keep our eyes focused on Jesus Christ. May we steady ourselves on the Savior. May your Holy Spirit, Lord, take our heart and make it good. Lord, we we love you, we give you praise in Jesus' name, amen. This morning, if you're here and you have not uh, done what our man Henry did this morning, put Christ on in baptism, if you've not made that decision to put faith in Jesus as your Christ, as your King, and to trust your life in His, We'd love to be a part of that this morning. Come today as we stand and sing.